0: But I was sitting in my kitchen yesterday and there's a sunroom off the kitchen, and my wife was there with her sister and a good friend named Mary Ann, and she was saying, Do you realize it's over five dollars for a pound of hamburger meat? Five dollars? Well, this is partly, you know, the pound of beef today costs five bucks compared to less than four bucks before the pandemic.
1: Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
0: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
1: A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin.
0: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope
2: of... Welcome making. back to the Ruthless Variety Program. I'm Michael Duncan. With me in studio that's is, right. is Comfortably Smug.
3: Good to be here. You uh, know, snow can't stop me. We're, <laughs> we, we're like, our fans deserve our best. We're going to trek through the snow. We're going to make it because we... Oh, you literally,
1: you literally live 90 feet away.
3: <laughs> so there's a place that... I have a, a place that's kind of close. But still, at the end of the day... I, I, I strap on my boots because I know there's people counting on this show. Uh, <laughs> counting on these.
2: Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Holmes, Holmes is not in studio no. today, but he is here on, over Zoom.
1: Well, I like uh, probably every parent in the Washington, D.C. area where you came off of a week and a half of holiday celebrations and New Year's and everything else. And then the first day back. You end up getting snowed out and your child care is gone. Wanted to take a bath with a toaster this morning. But uh, be that as it may, the show must go on. So I'm uh, I'm offering myself up remote.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at least, you know, you didn't go full mayor, Pete. You know, he didn't even work remote. So I'll give you that credit. You just take off with the, <laughs> have, have, having kids is awesome. It's just like endless vacation.
2: Unbelievable. do want to make it You know, it is, oh. it, is, it is funny though, Holmes. It's like, I don't know about you, but. You know, I, I spent this, uh, this last weekend, you know, sort of putting all the Christmas stuff back in boxes yeah. and like, uh, spooling up the Christmas lights outside. I get everything put away and then Monday morning, oh wow. Well, finally snow.
3: Isn't that amazing? You know,
2: <laughs> no, totally. no snow the whole time.
1: No, it's beautiful out, right? Those lights would have looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Well, listen, we've got a, we have a big program, uh, and we, we've got a, a special guest, Jack Pasovic. Uh, you may remember him. He's now a senior editor at Human Events. You may remember him from OAN. Uh, became a big media personality during the Trump years, and is Highly a really requested interesting
3: guest. Lot, you know, lots of
1: Highly him. requested
2: guest, and you're going to want to stick around for that. He's got a lot of interesting thoughts on China. Uh, really, you know, pretty fascinating stuff.
1: Totally. Totally. It was well worth uh, the interview. I think you'll really enjoy it. I want to I have him back at some point because we only got through about a quarter of the stuff I wanted to ask him about. But it was good. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, you know, and then we just got some hanging out, fellas. It turns out uh, a good Christmas break. We, we The show went on. That's right. How was the New Year's? You guys have a good New Year's?
3: Outstanding. Outstanding New Year's. I mean, it, it, I, I, you know, I'm fortunate to say that 2021 for me, it was a good year. You know, I know a lot of folks had a rough year. Hopefully, we turn the page on that. I got a feeling 2022 is going to be pretty awesome. You know, I'm expecting a red wave. So.
2: It was it was great. You know, football and then yeah. You know, I don't know about you guys. I watched that Miley Cyrus with Pete Davidson uh, New Year's Eve special. Mm. Yeah, dude, I watched she it. brought down the house.
3: Did she?
1: She. I did. don't care what anybody says, dude. Miley Cyrus is hot. She has an incredible voice.
3: I I uh, I. So is Dick Clark, Dick Clark isn't alive anymore, is he? Is he, is no, he still alive? no? Okay, so yeah, so I did it on whatever channel that is. I guess Ryan Seacrest does it, and I got to see you know what what hundred thousand people in Times Square wearing masks, freezing to see Ryan Seacrest.
2: <laughs> you know what I saw? I saw uh, somebody propose, um, and then I they saw kissed that, with, masks with masks on. Masks on. No, oh, unbel- come on, yeah, dude, I saw at, it on at, Twitter.
3: You know, at midnight, it was like twelve oh one. They, they, uh, they're, they like, out in the audience, like, oh, look, these people are proposing. They're both wearing masks. He proposes. I guess she said yes. And then they get, like, a kiss with masks on. And I was like, good God. Unbelievable. That's the proposal?
1: That's dark. Oh, dude, that's terrible. But, you know, Miley, we've talked about this before. Like, who checks the boxes for you for celebrities, what kind of celebrities you like? Miley checks all the boxes for me. She's she's a little messed up. She's got a lot of <laughs> guys spinning all the time. But she's immensely talented and she's, she's good looking the boot. I, I think she's great. So just she just know, like to like,
3: party? Is that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he just likes to party smug and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you pair her up with a guy like Pete Davidson, you know, anything is possible. I don't know how that guy continues to have any work at all, let alone hosting new year's, but you know, deal
3: with the devil hundred percent. It has to be deal with the devil.
1: Simply must be. Should we
3: write should we read some five stars? Absolutely. And I, I, I really want to read this one. It was incredible. Could be my favorite one. This is a five-star review from De Big 46. It says, Thank you, Smug, for saving my life. Great title. It says, I want to thank Smug and the fellas for saving my life with all of their animal fighting advice. Nice. I was recently out <laughs> jogging when I was attacked by a pit bull. As it ran towards me, all of Smug's advice flashed through my mind. And I immediately squared up and hit that dog with a right hook to the jaw. The dog ran off, having met its match in one of the minions. And after finishing my jog, I poured myself some bourbon to celebrate the win. Keep up the good work, gentlemen, and just know you're saving lives out there. Look at that. Wow. Making a difference every day. Outstanding work. That's unbelievable. So good.
1: good. Uh, This one's from Hallie W. Thanks for the laughs. Uh, She writes, it's New Year's Eve. The cat has been vomiting. Betty White died. Got a call from my rental property management company that there's a huge amount of water in the crawl space of my rental. I got a Facebook memory pop up of a year ago when I posted my dog of 17 years passed away. All this and knowing that the country's in trouble, it's all very depressing. But somehow I was turned onto this podcast and it's making me feel better and making me laugh. Thanks, guys. Not saying that's great. That's why we do it. Uh, one the- one more here
2: from Jim C62. Uh, title of Squirrels, so you know it's going to be good. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> longtime listener, love the humor and smacking lib hypocrisy. Your pre New Year's Eve show about the Welsh attack squirrel and the Texas BB gun solution brought back memories of the 1960s childhood in Georgia. Uh, my now deceased father, an avid vegetable gardener who hated squirrels, nailed 55 fuzzy tailed tree rats in one summer with a scoped pellet gun
1: 55 oh, scope, a the scope. there's a couple points off for the scope 55
2: oh, yeah, is a number didn't do the iron sights uh <laughs> <laughs> thanks for stirring the memory keep up the great variety on the greatest variety show jim from tennessee
1: great to hear from that. you jim excellent. that's
3: great excellent
1: so good so good so you you'll recall and first of all can we talk for a second about Joe Biden and that intro that we played today? Yeah. I mean,
3: I mean, th- there's out of touch. He's like, listen, uh, you know, I heard it's five bucks now. It was only four before. What's the big deal? It's like it reminded me of that Arrested Development. She's like, it's a banana, Michael. What could it cost? Yeah, so, right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, prices have gone up 25 percent. Can't you guys just sell one of Hunter's paintings and afford it? Like, come on.
2: The guy was vice president for eight years. And now he's president. He's been running, you know, the last two years before this for president. When when do you think is the last time he actually paid for something?
3: Yeah, you know, like
2: in
1: a long time.
3: <laughs> was the last time <laughs> he actually good. had to earn money? You know, he's right. been a, a senator for god knows how long. Uh, the fact well, he that never he, did,
1: dude. He, the, he never did. The, the, the fact. I mean, he, he was
3: even when he was a kid. Like uh, you know, if, uh, our listeners. Hopefully, you read What It Takes, great book. Basically, he he just like ran off and, and had like a daddy warbucks family member pay for a lavish lifestyle, and then he goes from that to being a senator. It's like, okay, the guy thinks grocery prices going up by 25% is not a big deal. I mean, I notice it's pretty clear. Every time I get groceries, prices have gone up from the previous week. It just does not
1: end. What what was so fascinating to me about that clip is it's like one of two things, right? The the first is he's either relating a story about him in the kitchen and two normal-sounding names like Marlene to try to be like, a relatable it's right. you know some sort of a device that he's using to say like i'm just like you it's yeah. either that which is terrible or he, he's actually marlene is telling him what the price of
3: yeah he's <laughs> like she's,
1: hey man shit's actually a lot more expensive now i, don't shit, know I you mean
3: prices going up 25 percent is to him being like oh you just shrug it off that's <laughs> insane that's insane
1: but I will say all of this is to say, and it was a prelude to Joe Biden announcing plans on Monday. This is according to Bloomberg. President Joe Biden will announce plans on Monday to combat market power of the giant conglomerates that dominate meat and poultry processing, ratcheting up a months long campaign that has blamed anti-competitive practices for contributing to surging inflation.
3: Dude, I mean, that's the thing is, you, you really run out of ideas. You, he, he, he first was like, okay, listen, uh, the supply chain's going to clear itself up. We've got boats, you know, m- miles offshore at this point, waiting to unload off the coast of California. Uh, companies across the board, everything costs more, not just meat. But he's like, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. Price fixing. You know, Mayor Pete says that worked out really well when he was, what was it, in Canada? When he was the fixing bread prices? I mean... <laughs> Like like yeah. that was the whole joke of of, of lives like come on Biden's not going to go full of socialism one year prices through the roof right. here's what we're doing comrades price fixing <laughs> full price fixing this worked in Venezuela here
1: but dude like the funny thing about all of this is that you you can't believe that they actually believe this No. right i no. mean every move that they make has this just very predictable impact it makes the market shitty, the labor force terrible, destroys supply chains and increases prices, all of which is very predictable before it happened, like all of it. Right? And,
3: and so much of it is attributed to government intervention. You know, when they're requiring all these mandates, When like uh, California, a big problem is they're requiring a new mandate on emissions of vehicles that they allow to uh, – be trucks and carry goods in their state when the government's put all these policies in place that are causing prices to go up then they look at this like complete economic catastrophe that they've caused and like you know what we'll solve this more government right you know we're (laughs) very smart people it's actually the
2: company's fault yeah Yeah. actually the companies are the bad guys no right you're gonna pay people to stay home you know they're gonna have all these interventions into the market because of covid you're gonna try to pass the green new deal and then you're going to turn around and act surprised. I mean, obviously, this is just a PR campaign more than an actual
1: policy. Yeah. Oh no, it's big, big meat, Michael. Yeah, right. I love it's, how that title.
3: I mean, it's just led to problems on Twitter when people are referring to Biden handling big meat. It's unbelievable, folks. No, oh, <laughs>
1: jeez. His handling of big meat has been terrible for years. Man.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Although I would say that his, his never mind. I I had something and I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it. We do remember it's a
3: family program.
1: <laughs> I had I had something that was really good, but I pressed. You've got me after my Willie Nelson joke. You've got me intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is. You know, it's funny doing this thing remote. I almost feel like I have a little bit more liberty. Like you know I'm what? not like I'm. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: That, that actually is a perfect segue. Speaking of uh, intimidated, when it snows in DC, the whole world comes to a standstill it's really something like uh when i was you know trekking over in the snow trekking to make sure uh our listeners get the best fidelity sound quality
2: smug smug truly had the hardest commute
3: i had to make sure i made it here but i noticed it's like it's like a ghost town you know and 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 the streets have had like plows go through you know it's 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 clear as a day out there for drivers but i mean you know how it is around here folks are like oh my goodness it's over (laughs) This is climate change in action. Uh, I don't want to go out. Maybe maybe like uh, acid rain will get me, too, on top of this. It's unbelievable. No one shows up to the office if you get, what is it, maybe a quarter inch of snow tops? Unbelievable. No, it was,
2: it was a little more than that. But, it is, but to your point, it is kind of hilarious that snow can shut down the most powerful city in the world. Yeah. You know, like well, never dude, prepared for it.
1: it. It is actually totally amazing. I remember, so I think we've got like five inches where I – live. And my my street has not been plowed yet. Right. It's it's we're recording this in early evening. It's not you know, I still don't don't have a, a plowed street. But I remember back in gosh, it must have been December 09 when we were doing the Obamacare debate. We had two like 15 plus inch snows in a row and it shut down the entire city, the entire city. Right. Like nothing moved. There was one restaurant that basically kept its doors open, which to this day, I'm forever in, uh, grateful to the the guy that had it because I had like no other place to what eat. What
3: restaurant was it? Is it a Waffle House?
1: It was called Sixth Engine at the time. They've they've since they, he's he sold it and they've moved on. But they now they now operate a whole bunch of great restaurants uh, throughout DC. But anyway, the point is, I had to walk. I had to actually walk from my apartment at the time to Capitol Hill because there was no other way to get there. Like you couldn't. The streets were indecipherable from sidewalks from everything else. It was just like one blanket of snow. So I put like put on my wife's moon boots, basically. <laughs> the only thing that came up high enough on my legs to get to the damn thing. And we just stayed in the Capitol for like six. I don't know, probably like six days.
3: Well, that's the thing. Folks who know me, like basically every day I try to dress as if like I could be invited to a fox hunt at any moment. <laughs> like I'm like, aboard a flight. I've got like a a, a hunting vest. I've got Leshmo. I've got boots up to my knees. I'm ready to go. Well
1: no, it's 100%. He's not exaggerating at all. I mean, this this is a guy who in this a bright, sunshiny day rolls in in like the the what do you call it, the the rubber boots. Yeah, They're like the boots. You got
3: to get them. I mean, it, it's excellent. These are the these are the boots that you wear when you want to hunt foxes, when you want to hunt ducks. They're great for for all those activities. And you know what? I I feel like at all times you should be prepared. And there you go. Here we go. It's it's like one 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 day of like one inch of snow and everyone in D.C. is like, oh, no. I, the, the hilarious thing was walking over, seeing the folks who had like tennis shoes right. and, and dress shoes on, well, trying to tough. like walk through the like, you know, those like corner puddles of crosswalks. I was like, have fun, friends. Should have gotten the waterproof boots.
1: That's a tough deal. But you know what? The f- The thing is, yesterday I went and played golf with my son. It was 65 degrees here yesterday. I went and played golf, and then today I've got six inches of snow in front yard. Incredible. It really is.
3: Speaking of walking to Capitol Hill, why don't you just walk us through what we can expect in the weeks ahead in this new year?
1: Yeah, so we talked about this before the break. We talked about how Democrats who were feeling the imminent pressure of BBB going down, that's the Build Back Brandon bullshit that uh, we've been talking about for months (laughs) and, and Joe Manchin objecting to that. And so, obviously, we're we're in a situation where their agenda is completely exploded. But not not to fear, what they'll do is resurrect a discussion that we were hap- having last spring in regards to what they dub voting rights, which is all nonsense, yeah. right? I mean, this is this is nonsense in the highest order. They're trying to resurrect it not because they think they can get it done; they don't think they can do- get it done. They need to destroy the filibuster, and I'm s- not sure that they still have 51 votes even if they destroyed the filibuster to pass this pile of garbage which by the way is their number one priority it's s1 hr1 right it's not like anything to do with your pocketbooks not anything to do with anything else what they want to do is change the election rules so they can basically have a thumb on the scale in every election in perpetuity for democratic majorities anyway so they're going to come back and they're going to make this big push on this deal mm-hmm. right the, the Schumer is saying that they're gonna go, (laughs) this is just so classic. Listen to this. Senate Majority Leader Charles Schumer told colleagues Monday that the chamber would vote no later than Martin Luther King Day Jr. holiday on changing Senate rules if Republicans continue to block voter voting rights legislation. First of all, can I get some commentary from you guys? They don't even throw quotes around voting rights, right?
2: No, right, no. I, and I love the performative nature of all of this
3: that they're gonna do it before MLK Day. MLK, you know, right? The, that's the MLK. thing is they're trying to cloak this into like this is a, a fight for civil rights. No, this is trying to federalize elections. There's a significant difference, and as it currently stands, as it has always stood in America, states run elections. They're like, no, see, we control the house, the White House, the Senate. And you know what? I, I, we'll, we'll, this is a coincidence, folks. But we'd like to take over elections too. Yeah,
2: right, right. Yeah. You, you know what I love too is like three months ago they just lost a statewide election in Virginia, a state in which Democrats controlled all of the levers
1: power. Yes. So yeah, well they didn't fix the they didn't fix it yet. Right, right. So right.
2: so wait, so was that election rigged? Did they have to <laughs> fix that election, the one that the Democrats ran that Republicans won? Is that what we're gonna do here?
1: Well, yeah, dude. Don't you remember 2016? It was the Russians. <laughs> That's oh, yeah. right. Absolutely. That's it was right. the Russians, and we act like this is not a spin cycle, right? That it's somehow yeah. this is a unique conversation. This has been going on since I've been involved in politics. Every time they get their hands on on power, they want to eliminate voter ID. They want to instate, you know, crazy enrollment plans they want to they want to make sure you can ballot harvest they've got all i mean this is basically what they try to do every time and and now this is like the new thing so so when you come back when congress comes back this is what they're going to be talking about it is the same idiocy there's nothing new about it but they have to figure out how to redivide the american people yep
3: and you My, see that, I mean, the, the fact like you, you pointed out perfectly, the fact that the media doesn't put this in quotes saying that's voting rights and the same way that you start seeing this narrative of like, you know what, it's almost like it's too dangerous to have a two party system. We gave the we gave the Republicans a chance. Uh, you know, we can't really allow them into the situation. That's how we save democracy. It's it's <laughs> all this is the same push. They just want to grab as much power as they can and tip it in their favor.
1: And then just like as a, as a strategic device, what what the problem that they face is that everything that they've done is tipped against them now in a big way, like 60, 40 against, right? The numbers for Democrats are absolutely awful. They have 10 point deficits in the ballot, generic ballot. Yep. Biden is like in the thirties, all of their candidates are getting beat across the country. So like the only thing that they can do at this point is try to redivide America, right? If you can convince people that all Republicans are racist and we talk about January 6th and we talk about, you know, all of the nonsense that gets people to hate each other again, then they'll stop. They'll stop remembering, apparently, according to their strategy, all the stupid shit that we've been doing to make their life worse.
3: And and that's the thing. So uh, that perfectly brings up from the same Washington Post article, this ridiculously offensive quote. And it describes exactly what you just said. It says, quote, much like the violent insurrectionists who stormed the US <laughs> Capitol nearly one year ago, Republican officials in states across the country have seized on the former president's big lie about widespread voter fraud to enact anti democratic legislation and seize control of typically nonpartisan election administration functions, Schumer wrote. Here's the thing is so they've gone from you're a racist if you don't support this to you're an insurrectionist if you don't support this. Oh it's yeah. basically you have to do what we say or you are racist. Insurrectionist or both? It's unbelievable. They have it's 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 like a one trick pony. They're like, you have to give us all the power, or else yeah. racism or wins or 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 democracy's over.
1: Well, they ran the racist thing up the flagpole as hard as they could last spring, right? With the Georgia Voting Act, right. and, like you remember, like when I was on Fox News Sunday and Chris Wallace was like giving me the business about how they were banning water and whatnot from the po- like all of it was nonsense. All like every narrative all made of Democrats up. All made up it's all made up. It was all completely nonsense. I think conservatives did, albeit a a delayed job, but did a successful job of pushing all that back. So now they've got to repackage it up and now you're an insurrectionist. Yeah, but but
2: from from a practical standpoint, Holmes, you know, I mean, if you are a Democratic senator right now and you see the writing on the wall in the midterms, um where Republicans are favored to retake the House, like do you actually abolish the filibuster right now? <laughs> you know, like like what is the actual benefit if, you know, I mean like there's some at some point during this year they're gonna go out and campaign, right? And so like how much runway do you actually have if you abolish the filibuster to enact this entire agenda? Like Duncan, aren-
1: we are in we are in an era of strategic idiocy <laughs> I mean, absolute strategic idiocy i i for what you just said i if i were a democrat i'd run as far away from eliminating the filibusters as i could possibly do because i got mitch mcconnell sitting across the way who's waiting to shove every piece of shit thing up my ass that i've hated for the last 30 years of my career and he's gonna do it with an absolute smile on his face the same way he did three support supreme court justices thanks to the late harry reid right that is a fact. That is going to happen, but they can't because everything is so short term. Everything is just this play to the base, like idiocy that Democrats can't get out of. And so that yes, I think that they're not going to be successful ultimately in getting this done because like Kirsten Cinema and and maybe even Joe Manchin are going to stop them from changing the filibuster. But but they want to. Like forty nine of them really want to. Okay. And I can't. I literally cannot wait to see how those 49 justify not supporting getting rid of it when Republicans uh, have the Senate. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be the it's going to be the best.
3: One one quick thing that I saw over the weekend that really caught my attention is we're leading up to January 6th and CNN sends out this tweet that they're going to air live from the Capitol January 6th Ugh. one year later marking one year anniversary of the insurrection. And then here's the thing is I wonder why people pulled up the the CNN communications tweet from from uh, January 7th, 2021 saying, yesterday was CNN's most watched day in history with 5.2 million tuning in on the television during the Capitol insurrection. CNN outperformed other broadcasts and cable digital news networks. 72 million tuned to CNN Digital with a peak streaming audience of 1.8 million. So if you want to know why they keep... Endlessly being like, oh my gosh, this insurrection. Oh my gosh, we have to have like a lead up the week up to uh, January 6th. Why were they going to have like a special? This is it, folks. They don't care. They, th- th- to them, they don't care about democracy. That's not what right. any of this is about. It's a tagline that democracy dies in dark- darkness. The real thing here is ratings. They want to make everyone mad. They want everyone to fight each other. They want to say, oh my gosh, this is a capital insurrection. We have to mark one year with like a Super Bowl right. day long event. That's what it's about. Is By they ratings. make That's money.
1: That's what this whole thing has been about, right? I mean, they've been so obvious about it. CNN is amongst the worst offenders for sure, but much of the of the corporate media falls in the same category, yep. right? Yep. It has nothing to like. I love this big fact finding mission. Oh, let's find out what happened, motherfucker! On the day it happened, everybody knew what happened, right? It wasn't. This isn't a particular mystery. It's just something that they've had to they've had to cover ad nauseum. For the last year, because it does two things: one, it pisses everybody off and puts ratings in their basket, but two, it also helps their ideological goals, right? It also helps try to make everybody with a, constri- a conservative point of view somehow culpable or responsible for an incredibly negative day in American history for a riot, and, which is bullshit.
3: And and and, and like the the fact finding thing is as as time unfolds. You get more facts later on, like initial reports were like you've got, you know, hundreds of officers maimed, multiple officers killed by rioters. And then later on, we find out actually rioters weren't killing police officers like the narrative that they have seized on. Well, you go back and you reread,
2: go back and reread that Schumer quote we just read on, quote unquote, voting rights. Right. It's like this whole narrative around January 6th is just, you know, building towards him trying to abolish the filibuster to pass a quote-unquote voting rights bill, right? Like, I mean, that's how these things get tied together, and CNN obviously loves the ratings. So it's like all these things sort of work in concert to advance, you know, a policy
3: position. It's as simple as that. I mean, if if, if he believed that democracy was under threat and we we're facing, you know, violent insurrectionists, the first legislation he would introduce is, like, anti-domestic terror bill. But no, it's a voting that's rights. That's not what they wanted I to do. I wonder why.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's totally true. We'll have more to say about this on Thursday, obviously, but this is, you know, it, like, keep in mind and keep your media sources very thoughtful this week because you're going to see a lot of bullshit that will trigger you. And, uh, you know, maybe you like that. Maybe that's, maybe you laugh about it like we do. Not everybody does. And it makes people extremely angry. So just, you know, like, take it easy. This is not a week to overheat. It's the beginning of the new year. We got a long run ahead of us.
3: Um, Moving on, i got some really good and interesting news. Dinosaurs, folks. Should we clone it? Make it into a dino omelet? In the news, from uh, this is from Science Tech Daily. It's called Baby Ying Lang. Exquisitely, exquisitely preserved dinosaur embryo discovered inside avaraptosaur egg. It says, Wait, oh, yeah. this is your thing, right? Yeah, this, I mean, and, and this is all ov- true.
2: Oviraptos- I loved your pronunciation. You nailed
3: that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great this, with
2: well, this, you know. this is sort of your wheelhouse. It's
3: one I'm very interested in. <laughs> It says, I'm, wow. it, over the last hundred years, many final fossilized dinosaur eggs and nests have been found, but finding one with a well-preserved embryo inside is exceedingly rare. Now, researchers are reporting in the Journal Science on December 21st have detailed one such specimen discovered in southern China. Uh, it had been acquired in 2000 by uh, Lang Liu, director of a company called Lang Group, who suspected it might contain egg fossils, but it ended up in storage, largely forgotten until about 10 years ago. This is like the buildup from a movie. God. You know, like you know, this company buys a dino. This egg, is Jurassic Park. Not knowing, Park. And then ten years ago, it is. it's discovered. Has, uh, is
1: the egg fertilized?
3: Yeah, it's it, it's ready to roll. It says it a, ended up the When museum staff during the construction of the uh, nature history museum sorted the boxes and unearthed it, I mean, there it's it's a fertilized dinosaur
2: embryo. Right. So this isn't this isn't just a dinosaur egg. This is a dinosaur egg with a preserved, real baby dinosaur inside. ready to roll.
3: Oh my god! <laughs> so to me, the question is: I think number one, we got to get the DNA out of there and figure out how we can bring it back, right? Yeah. Number two, with the egg, they should have like a a, a bid, you know, like an auction. Yeah. Because Dino Omelet would be like the hottest thing. Like all these Dude, billionaires, like all these billionaires are going into space, but there's only one Dino egg you can eat, right? So, like, you know what I mean? Like, throw that on the Insta cooking up a dino egg.
1: Well, so you Dude, he said this. This is a very this is a very straightforward take from Smug. He's had these <laughs> these are well maintained convictions. Is, he yeah. said that he would he would want the dino and he'd want to eat them. Yeah. And now yeah. It, now it's an egg and he's suggesting an omelet. It makes total sense.
3: I mean, it'd be incredible. And and I, to me, the lesson from Jurassic Park is you just can't let them out to run wild. So you get good cages. <laughs> Seems like an easy lesson. And you got the job done, right? Think about it, how great it would be, two things, to have like a dino zoo, make sure they're in cages and the cages are strong. Number two, you could have like a a, a preserve kind of an area like in Texas with like, you know, 20, 30 foot tall electric cage, you know, electric fencing. And then you chopper and, and they don't let people down there, but you can fly over in choppers like the boar hunts and just shoot at them. You know, yeah, and then it's like they have like a crane situation. Like, you know, when you get your toy in the crane machine, like, you know, they they got a, a drone or something that will crane up the corpse, bring it back to you at the ranch, clean it up. You got your dino trophy. I mean, I would pay top dollar. I would pay top Is dollar. Unbelievable. Would you field dress a dino? If, if I had the chance, I, you know what I mean? Like, think think of the photos. Think of the memories. You know, you take the family, your son, your, you get your son to take down a dino. He'll never forget that day.
1: Never. Well, the, the, the bad news, folks, is I've killed the only Stegosaurus that's been around in half years. The good news is I've stripped it into perfect flank stakes. Right.
3: <laughs> I mean, imagine having that in your study. You know, dinosaur head mounted on the wall. Be like, that's right, buddy. You know, everyone, everyone's everyone got you know their safari trophies up. How many dinos you got? Incredible. Oh, God, that's good. So I'm that's hoping really for the good. best. Hopefully we get our dinosaurs back. You know, a dino egg in my lifetime for breakfast, that would that that'd be an incredible, incredible thing.
1: <laughs> well, fellas, should we go to this interview? Let's get on it. Yeah. All right. So, Jack Posobiec, Um, for anybody who's been on Twitter, you know him. He's all over the place. Um, you know, when I was in the inside on the stat, like kind of establishment side, I didn't know what to think about guys like Jack and cause I didn't know them very well. And they operated in a different media sphere, but I, you know, I've watched their content and loved a lot of the things that they've been up to over the last few years. And so this is like an interesting thing for me, right. Mm-hmm. Is to get to know these people and to actually ask questions. And, and to be honest with you, I think the mainstream media is so successfully tried to smear guys like Jack yep. into everybody believing that there's, this is somehow a crazy person. This is one of the smartest people we've interviewed, in my view. He's got an incredible, um, interesting story to tell about China, his experience with naval intelligence, how it led him to um, politics and media. And he's obviously very successful in that regard. But I got a lot out of this, and I think you guys will, too. I want to welcome to the program a very interesting guy. I know you've been following him probably throughout his career. He's certainly prolific on Twitter. You remember him from OAN. He's now the senior editor at Human Events, along with a whole bunch of other roles that we can talk about. Jack Posobiec, welcome to the program.
0: Josh, really appreciate you having me, man. And and likewise, back at you, you know, you're coming from a guy who was sort of you know, one of the uh, one of the people behind the scenes, but now really coming forward and showing people you got some got some moves,
1: got some stuff. I love <laughs> to see it. I love to see it. Well, you certainly get a different perspective when you get outside. I'll tell you that much. It's um, it's this is a fun new deal, and I see. By the way, I saw that your podcast is like top of the charts. We did. We actually
0: we were fighting real hard. So we we launched back in September went up to number 1 and then you know usually with the way the podcast rankings go you you know you come out of the gate with you know and it goes by momentum so you yep. it's easy to shoot up pretty fast if you have already a big following established on social media and you know I've been on twitter for way way too long it'll actually be <laughs> 10 years this may believe it or not and uh very, but i mean that being said there are worse addictions out there, there and are. uh <laughs> certainly l- less healthy ones um <laughs> and so you know we've consistently though and i remember when i hit they're like ah well you know Posobiec will be you know you know you can hit top 1 top 2 but you got to stay you got to stay and then we've been cranking it out consistently top 10 for apple politics and then we get closed out the year as number 2 in apple politics
1: That's awesome man well congrats it's, Thank it's you. great it's it. a great
0: format you know just a testament to human events daily and look you know i really looked out and I saw that a lot of people were doing the kind of the long form thing, the discussions, really getting into stuff where you get people who kind of do like the um, the bro podcast. And I'm not knocking the bro podcast, where yeah. it's, you know, it's a couple of guys, you know, and they're just like, oh, man, did you hear about, you know, and like this thing and that thing and realize what the topic is. But I wanted to do something that kind of harkened back to, you know, back when I was in the Intel community, we used to do this thing called just a, the commanders, you know, commanders update brief or the daily morning brief. And it's just a quick and dirty. Hey, here's the top five things. Here's a little bit of analysis. Boom. You get in, you get out. We used to always say this too, is be good, be brief, be gone. Yeah, and yeah. when I was at damn Neck, that was one of the things the instructor just drilled into us. Be good, be brief, be gone. And so I said, you know, nobody's really doing that because I was looking out at it and like my wife, for example, right? So she's like, look, I, I got the kids, you know, she runs <laughs> a lot of the business end of this. She's like, look, I, I like, I'm you know, I'm conservative, you know, but Uh, I don't want to spend hours and hours listening to something. Just, just give me what I need to know and then give me out. And I said, I can do that. And I can do that in 25 minutes. And that's really been, you know, we've kind of found that like people who, and a lot of people that are listening are actually new podcast listeners. So I'm hoping that, (laughs) you know, it's something that people listen to that and then say, Hey, you know, this podcast thing is pretty cool. Maybe I can Try out something else, and so actually increase the universe of people
1: that are. Yeah, listening. you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's the one yeah. thing that I found, and we when we started Ruthless, we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. We just sort of kind of fell into it. No, same here. Yeah, first podcast. Yeah, but 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 I think you know the thing that's been a, a key observation for me is what you just mentioned is that there is no end. It's not a finite resource to have good content. Like there is no real competition amongst good conservative podcasts because if they're good. They work, right? And it's not like a, a choice between one and or the other. It seems like the more people that you onboard onto the medium, the better it is for all. At least it has been for us. And I, and oh, I can tell with your exactly how with your following, like you said, it seems like you, there's a whole bunch of people who weren't listening to podcasts who are now listening to it because of yours.
0: Well, and it's kind of like the idea too, where you know, I mean, you take the great Rush Limbaugh, right? The guy who was yeah, such yeah. a pioneer for conservative media. And, you know, at that time, we're talking back in the 1980s, right? You know, he's credited, and I think rightly so, with essentially saving the AM band on, on yeah, the radio. Yeah. I mean, they were going to nix that thing. They were going to get rid of it. They were like, nobody's listening to it. The new stuff isn't working. Plus, you know, it, you've got, you know, I mean, there's a little bit with sports because you know, there's some over because AM will travel a bit further. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, your sports mass media market is going to go, you know, so, hey, you know, I'm from Philadelphia. So I, you know, that's how I kind of judge everything. So, like, people will be listening to Phillies radio all the way out to, like, Allentown, Berks County, towards Redding. They actually have a farm team in Redding. Right up
1: until you pick up the New York Yankees. Yeah. And then so it goes right up to the
0: Yankees. So it made sense. It made sense for sports to be on AM because it travels further than the FM band, even though FM is richer. It's thicker. Right. uh, Right. It's a wider band. But um, that's it. That's the only thing that was on an AM, and then Rush comes along and just revitalizes it. And they're still in the car, so it's still you know a medium. But I think with you're seeing this shift now in the audience to people. I think people under forty are like, I'm I'm listening to something off my phone wherever I am. You know, totally. I'm listening on my AirPods, or if I'm in the car, I'm doing that Bluetooth hookup. You know, and it's all about time shifting because when's the last time, think, of it, Josh? When's the last time that you you know sports aside, when's the last time that you ran home because you're like, Oh, I gotta watch this because <laughs> the show starts at? Remember, we used to live our lives like that totally. Our whole yeah. life was loved, Oh my god, eight o'clock, it's coming on, I gotta be there. And then you got to time your bathroom breaks with the commercials and everything, and that's all gone. It's that so whole true, world that whole universe again, under 40, and then even honestly, for like my dad is um in his 60s. He cut the court a couple of years back. He watches all his sports on Reddit and then he oh, watches really? every seriously. He'll oh. go to Reddit and then, you know, say specifically which sites he, yeah. you know, which subs he uses there, but <laughs> right. you know, he wants to watch baseball. He wants to watch football. He wants to watch hockey. Boom. He just finds it and does it. And when I saw that my dad could figure that out, I was like, cable's in trouble. Big trouble,
1: right? Cable's when dads big. are figuring that stuff out, you got a real problem. Live sports is basically the last bastion of, of the survival of cable and that's cracking that's starting to crack
0: it's actually starting to crack but anyway you know so because you're seeing that shift in the the terms of content with tv and i think that's really driving it with streaming people are starting to say well how can i get radio streaming and how can i get the content that i want and oh by the way you know i want niche content and so a niche can be larger because you it's not regionally based anymore right right. now it can be in national international and I look at the back end of the podcast and I'm like I got viewers in countries that I've never even heard of. You know <laughs> it's a weird feeling isn't it? <laughs> it's like, wait, what you know, or you know I, mean, I would say I've never heard of, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And um so it's 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 wild to me. And I think though that's really the way things are moving. Now that being said, you know, you talk about you know, in D.C. where we are, we're recording this right now. Of course, it is very snowy. That's another day where you do want something that's a little bit more regional. So, you know, there's there's room for everything. There really There is-, is
1: room for everything. So I want to talk for those of us who followed you in, in your work for a number of years. We, not all of us know your background, know your interest, how you got involved sort of in, in politics and then in, in media. Can you give us just a little snapshot of how you became interested in this line of work?
0: Yeah. Well, so there's, there's sort of like the uh, uh, the public version and then there's like the non-public version. So usually the one that the public goes with that, you know, in their most charitable one, they'll be like, I have this vice uh, profile written to me, which is like halfway decent where they were like, Yeah, um, this guy that I used to follow who ran a Game of Thrones blog in like 2012 and 2013 now apparently is like a White House correspondent or something. (laughs) Like, I don't understand how this works, but apparently someone felt the need to hire him to do that, you know, going from five years later to 2017. And I always point out like that's actually kind of funny. So so publicly speaking, I did, you know, all the way back in 2012 start I got on Twitter for the express purpose of making fun of the Game of Thrones TV show (laughs) and um, from the perspective of a guy who read the books and it was it was like a satirical like a funny you know how come they're cutting out all these characters and you know how come no this guy is supposed to be married to that guy and he had five (laughs) kids not three you know that that kind of stuff but then you know as the show started I don't know if you're Game of Thrones guy at all but as the show kind of got bigger it really did start to diverge from the books a lot and at that point, like the, the blog that I was running, we called it the angry GOT fan and, uh, it actually started taking off. And at one point we were getting like half a million clicks, you know, That's amazing. uniques um, a month. And then it was all Twitter, Twitter driven. And then, so it really got crazy because it was just so divergent from the books. And I didn't, you know, I just started as a joke while I was on deployment. Yeah.
1: I mean, you are like inter- entertaining yourself, right? And then you're a content provider.
0: You know, I was like, "Oh, this is funny." Like, what's a cut? it's it was actually based off of, um, essentially what if you've ever ro- watched the Red Letter Media guys, and they do a thing called Mister Plinkett, which is when they review like the Star Wars movies, and it's from the perspective of this just like ninety year old curmudgeon <laughs> who's just tearing them up, but it's it's actually you know a very good. Um, analysis, but it's also peppered with just a lot of humor and it's not in character, which is hilarious. (laughs) And so I said, oh, I'll just do that for Game of Thrones. And that really took off. But then getting into about 2016 or so, you know, the show was getting so far off. And I was like, yeah, the quality was kind of sagging off a little bit, too. Meanwhile, politics is taking off. And then so this is where and so I was like, oh, I'll just switch it to politics. And then that's where, you know, I kind of come from publicly privately, though um i was a navy intelligence officer i was you know when i was doing you know the game of thrones jokes and all it would be like in my downtime when i was on deployment you know somewhere in the south china sea or going through the Mm -hmm. taiwan strait or when i spent a year at guantanamo doing a deployment down there uh in the interrogation cell the human intelligence cell and um you know prior to that i was like you know your classic college republican guy i was um you know temple temple university cr chair then i was the pennsylvania executive director for the pacrs
1: you knew you knew you were in, into politics for a while i mean yeah
0: yeah, yeah. i had volunteered yeah. on campaigns i had um, first campaign I volunteered on was rick santorum okay. you know back in 2006 that eventually got hired to do some field work for him in pennsylvania um, was in his um, his Philadelphia office for a bit. Um, obviously, 2016 didn't go so well for him. But right. you know, kind of or anyone
1: else for that network. matter.
0: Oh yeah, really. <laughs> uh, what did what did what did what did Bush say he was shellacked? I think yeah, shellacked. That was, was the just, word. that
1: was an understated way of putting it. yeah, the it. classic, so classic
0: understated. <laughs> yeah, right. And then, um, which you know, probably is coming up again this year, but for the other side. That's right. And um, probably closer to 2010 though it would be more more of a cognate, I think. And then so yeah, always kind of stayed involved with politics. Was going to CPACs back when Andrew Breitbart was there and with the, the tri-corner hat and they used to do it at the Omni Omnishoram and all, you know, but I kind of got, I don't know, kind of got bored with that. So when I joined, eventually joined the military, kind of got out of it for a while, but then got back into it really through social media.
1: Huh, interesting. So so you develop this big social media presence in large part by critiquing Game of Thrones and then all yes. of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden <laughs> now you're in the middle of politics and people want to know what you have to say and you just re-enter it with full force.
0: Well, and so, you know, that that was the big thing for me, though, even when I was in the military and um, even before joining the military, one of the big things for me was uh, going and moving to Shanghai, China and actually yeah. live in yeah. there for about two years and uh, learn to speak, read, write text, you know, in Mandarin in character and everything and just learning because even all the way back, uh, you know, we were just talking before I got on. It was, it was 16 years ago. That's when um, when I when I first went over and it was the State Department kind of like, hey, you know, come see a part of the world. And, you know, the one I applied for was China, because even when, you know, Iraq war and global war and terror was kind of the, um, you know, the, the big thing. Um, I remember kind of looking around in the IR space, international relations space and saying, you know, this this China thing really seems every time I turn around, it's like China here, China there, China's this, China's yeah. that they're tied. it You know, even with all. And and keep in mind, at this point, China's only been in WTO for about five or six years. Um, They've just been given most favored nation. And I said, I want to kind of want to kind of check that out because that seems really different as opposed to any of the other, you know, potential options. Uh, And then I ended
1: up just staying. Yeah. So how long were you? How long were you there? Two years. Two years. And did you basically when did you learn? Because I listen, there's a lot of YouTube stuff out there. One of them, a few, I don't know, a few, couple of months ago, I stumbled upon you speaking what appeared to be fluent Mandarin, which, I uh, to be honest with you, I, that's a gear I didn't know you had. Absolutely incredible. If you want
0: to speak Chinese, you can speak Chinese, because I was only two years old, so I was in Shanghai. I was studying at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Jack, we're gonna uh,
1: get thrown <laughs> off the internet if you, if
0: you keep going on. It. <laughs> yeah, so no, I was, I was just saying, you know, look, I, you know, I went, I did a semester at East China Normal University, intensive language courses, and, um, and I was living there, you know, so you pick up a yeah. lot of the colloquialisms, a lot of like people say I speak with a Shanghai accent, I'm like, well, that makes sense. Wow, yeah, and, um, and then, uh when i was in the military so i actually did it backwards right I, I was in china first learned the language then joined the military so me thinking i can bring my my mandarin skills over and and for, by and large you know i was able to do that so um in addition to being an intel officer um, I was also, you know, kind of given this, uh, translation, not duty, but because I was like, you know, at first they, they offered me translation. I said, look, I, I don't want to sit and translate, you know,
1: yeah. Right. Just the world's most boring conversations,
0: reports at, you know, submarine go up, submarine go down, you know, <laughs> like, like I get it. And that's important, but at yeah. the same time, like, you know, I don't want to be like, I, uh, I'll be the guy who checks that guy, you know, yeah, what I'm I mean? not like, your guy on that. <laughs> you know, I want to be the guy who will find out where the submarines are going and why they're going there and and that kind of thing. Right. Right. And so and so I was able to work with because in the Navy, they they separate that out. Uh, so the, your code breakers or, or your we'd say cryptologists. Right. So you're right. You would you say crippies? Right. Um, you know, not, not no offense to any bloods out there who might be listening. Uh, diff, not those crips. Um <laughs> And so it's, it's, yeah, they separate it out. So Intel analysis versus Intel collection versus code breaking versus translation. It's all, all the different sort of ints and different, different branches do it differently. But I ended up, I wanted to pick Navy because the Navy really has the biggest focus on China. And if anything were ever to kick off with China, it would certainly be, you know, a Naval confrontation the same way our confrontation with Japan was, Uh, and that ended up being the right choice. Um, that being said, you know, I think, um, I don't think people realize quite how much that, uh, arm, you know, Big Green and the army has to deal with China and uh, the Marines and and even the Air Force, you know, that they're, everyone's everyone's basically in there. You got a whole who, uh, who's who in the zoo when it comes to China.
1: Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit about that. We're, I mean, look, I think very clearly the United States is in a very difficult position vis-a-vis China, maybe the most difficult we've been in for, for years. Very obvious to those of us who are just even sort of layman. In terms of reading the news, that China is about as aggressive as it's ever been towards the, the West. And what they want to do is pretty clear. But I'd be interested from your perspective, is this, is this just a long-term plan coming to fruition that we're only now just sort of wrapping our minds around?
0: Well, so, I mean, it yes and no, right? So, I think people have this idea that China is this nefarious, you know, mustache twirling. I want to take down the United States and kind <laughs> of, you know, villain. And I mean, there, there there's elements of truth to that. Right. But at the same time, you have to understand it from their perspective. Right. And so that's what I was able to learn while I was there. Actually, believe it or not, um, had an opportunity to meet Xi Jinping at one point, just totally randomly in Shanghai because Back 2008, he was the Shanghai Party Chief before he ascended oh. to the Politburo, and so he was basically the like the municipal uh, Party Chairman for Shanghai. Of course, Shanghai is basically a provincial level city, um, so you know anyone who's going into that seat is obviously on the fast track, and he certainly was as a princeling. Which so he's sort of like yeah, the princelings are the the for people who don't know that's sort of the cadre that's come up now under the CCP whose parents were part of that sort of original, you know, cadre who hadn't been, well, if, if, you know, they either weren't purged or they've been restored after being purged kind of thing, you know, people who were like close with Mao, people who were on the long march with him, people who fought the, uh, the nationalists with, um, along with Mao. So his father uh, actually had been one of those. So that's this new cadre of newcomers. And And so Mm -hmm. the people that are basically running China now, for the most part, are those they they would call them the princelings and on way, you know on the way coming up so it was the shanghai world expo was being set for 2010 so 2008 they're running all the planning i'm working with the american chamber of commerce and some other clients that are trying to get u.s states and u.s cities involved um microsoft is actually a client i remember was on this trip with us and a few others and we're just going over to the expo center to kind of like talk planning stuff and huge entourage is there all the you know just i mean like entourage in the hundred right like easily a hundred guys it's a big crew and security outside everything and we were like what's going on what is this, this is you know obviously not for us right you know right. and um you know that's the one thing about being in a police state by the way it's it's very safe very, very safe. <laughs> right um, right there's the violent crime in china is just it's just not a thing it doesn't, doesn't exist it doesn't, right? doesn't really exist no yeah. i mean you know you have property crime and theft and you know, or if it does exist, it's, it's, you know, it's like interpersonal, like domestic stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as, you know, kind of the kind of violent crime we see in U S cities, certainly today. Uh, no, no, it no, doesn't exist in, in China, in, in any major city. And uh, no, there's so actual see,
1: repercussions for that over there.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, right? oh yeah. You just, you go away. You're just gone. <laughs> you're, you're never heard of again. Um, and so, you know, you know we see him and eventually we're kind of and then we're being kept in this one room that, oh he's coming through he's coming through we just need to let him go through and then but at one point we're you know we're in the same room as him and he's very gracious hello to everybody but the whole i mean i just remember just the only word i could describe used to describe it like tony soprano <laughs> just like the tony soprano of shanghai with you know the trench coat off the shoulder and all the dudes around him and he's by the way he's really tall he's like six three which huh. in in china is yeah, very very tall for average so just towering over everybody and you know sort of this big the same way that mike pompeo you know he's, he's a big guy right. you know i mean trump was a big guy right he's just he's just imposing figure yeah and um and i remember that you know he just sort of had this uh this confidence this cool confidence about him but also this idea that you know hey what, whatever the boss says goes kind of thing just like tony soprano would call would uh would carry himself and so I, I what actually didn't surprise me that he and trump got along because i was like wow you're kind of like <laughs> very similar in, so you know, in, in some ways but and so when when people talk about you know what's the deal with china i say look you know they take things very very seriously like they're a country that plays to win mm-hmm. and you know we're a country that kind of just plays right now and they view it as not so much that they want to like destroy america that's not what they look at, right? They they just want to be. They want to be where America was in like the 1990s and early 2000s. Oh, that's interesting. They want to be the hegemon. They don't want to destroy mm-hmm. the United States. I mean, why would they? We're, we're their biggest consumers, right? We have this massive right. economic relationship. Plus, when you look in terms of foreign direct investment, we've been their greatest patron uh, since the 1970s. And Deng Xiaoping opened all that stuff up. And so, you know, the way they look at it is. What can we do to make our country powerful and great and strong and have a strong military and be able to wield our influence throughout Asia? Because when you understand, you know, kind of history from the Asian perspective, I mean, the word China in Chinese, right? I'm not going to use too much Mandarin on this, but uh, it it it's, it's I think it's illustrative for for people's understanding it's not it's not china right it's not even anything close to china that's just you know um uh, europeanism they call it which means the central kingdom and for thousands of years i mean china was the center of their world right the center of the the asian world um you were either a vassal state or a tributary state to china you were tributary to the emperor you paid you know your um uh, you paid your homage, you paid your tribute, you know, to the emperor. And that's how they, they ruled Vietnam for a thousand years. I mean, we're talking about a very, very powerful country. And so for them, they view the last say 200 years as kind of an aberration, right? They say, Hey, you know, we let, we let the West get, get ahead of us and they knocked us down. And these, these incipient uh, drug dealers from this little Island, um, off the coast of Europe came by and, and, you know, bloodied our nose back in the 1800s. And now we've got to restore uh, what was rightfully ours in the world. And so we have to technology. So if you look at it in terms of, you know, people talk about Japan and Meiji restoration, but that's really what China has been doing since the period of Deng Xiaoping. And yeah, they they are communists, but it's really communism in name only. They've created a new system of state capitalist authoritarianism that they are using to then build and extend their influence in very much the same way that they saw the British empire. And to some extent, you know, the American uh, uh, experiment was, you know, extended its commercial influence, at least around the world. They're looking at their, for them, they look at it the same way. They said, well, we're just doing what you guys did. Right. But we're going to do it in a way that isn't tied to any type of values, isn't tied to any type of human rights. And <laughs> we like know, what
1: you do, except without the freedom thing.
0: You know, it's, you know, <laughs> for us, it's, yeah, exactly. So it's like, it's like, well, we want to build a pipeline and and a railway through, uh, you know, through the Khyber Pass and through the mountains into Pakistan and get down to the Godar, Godar Port of Pakistan because it's much easier to get our oil over land than it is to get from Iran than it is to ship it all the way around the Straits of Malacca and everything else. And so we're just going to do that. And well, what about all these Uyghurs? Get them out of the way, you know, right. put them in concentration camp, do whatever you got to do, get, you know, get rid of them because we need progress. Gosh, darn it. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, from their perspective, it's it's having that kind of power, having that kind of influence, having that kind of you know need for resource, Uh, capitalization resource cornering around the world that they're doing, but they're doing so kind of without any of the brakes on that the Western system would normally have. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's also a very different type of policy, whereas, you know, in the US, we might try to cozy up to a certain political party in a different country or, you know, one faction or another. If you've got a civil dispute in China, it's just Hey, you guys need a, a new ministry of defense. You guys need a new capital building. You need a new road. You need a new railroad. You know, sure, we'll build that for you. But uh, you know, all those mineral rights, you guys weren't using all those mineral You're rights. Not we're using yet. any no, of We'll that. just use all those. And um, <laughs> and so. You know, we'll just we'll just take care of those for you. And and, oh, did you think that we were going to hire your your, you know, workers to do that? No, 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 no. We're going to bring in people from from China, from the glorious motherland to do that. And you guys, you know, don't worry, you'll you'll, you'll get benefit from it because you get to use that nice road that we built. You know, that's amazing. It totally is. It's a mafia I'm wondering wondering really when people will start to kind of like I I do think that people have got it's I mean, you gotta say, I was the guy even in the Intel community, by the way, I was the guy for years who was, you know, sitting in the back office and nobody cared. Nobody cared about any of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, you know, um, I I know I'm not the senior guy here at all, but they're they're building islands um, in the middle of the shipping lanes. Maybe we should. I don't know, you know.
1: <laughs> Check that something out. Something
0: about that, or or take a look, or you know, break them apart somehow and make it look like an accident. You know, just saying, like, <laughs> no, nah, well, we're gonna we're gonna send a you know we're gonna send a strongly worded letter. Like, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> um, it's worked out terrifically for and us. And it's probably. like, and it's like, yeah, no, we've got great satellite imagery here of them b- building the islands and they're dredging and got well, so oh, man, got the dredgers out again and. Like, oh yeah, keep an eye on it, right? Yes, sir. Now they're they're well, they're militarizing them. They're they're putting uh, you know, missile emplacements and short range and medium range ballistic missiles. And hey, they're they're building an airstrip and they've got this aircraft carrier. Yeah, they're they're practicing landing and takeoff with the aircraft carrier. Yeah, they're. I mean, it's
1: it's you're just watching uh, the full progression. Yeah, and
0: you just you're just sitting there watching it, and this is all under Obama, and you're like, what are we gonna do? Oh, we're gonna work with ASEAN and we're gonna work with the United Nations. We're gonna put forward a. know uh the you know law of the sea and uh we're gonna have a rules code of conduct (laughs) oh my gosh it's just you know and and you sit there and you're just like i actually remember being at this intel community round table and i'm like an 01 butter bar ensign at this point and it's like every three letter in the in the country this is at langley by the way and every three letter is there and and they're all going around talking about this code of conduct and how they want it worded. And uh, you know, is Malaysia going to join or are they going to betray us and cut a deal? Cause they you gotta do. be kidding. Me. Um, and, and we finally get around there. Like, Navy Intel, what do, what do you think? Navy Intel. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I I think everything you guys have to say is 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 good and it's right, but I mean China's not gonna listen to any of this. So right. I'm not really sure why it, why it matters. And they're like, oh, what does that ensign know? You know, he's he's he hasn't been around the block as long as us. Like, oh, he hasn't okay. seen our
1: verbiage. We have very tough verbiage. Yeah,
0: our ver- yeah, see, right. So you've you've been in that meeting. Like you yeah. know exactly what I'm saying. Well, our verbiage is very strong. This is you know some of the toughest diplomatic language that's been used since the days of kissinger and joe online and you're like uh okay yeah, they, they, I, they yeah. don't
1: give a shit i hate to but tell you they am sorry to
0: incentives and <laughs> they don't think that like they're standing within the international community oh. or they, what is it the what are they you know, tony blinken is rules-based order like the, oh, why would man. they care about that why you it's know, just
1: such a hilarious stack. I mean, they just, they're just they so disconnected. It's part of this just classic permanent foreign policy establishment that has been around way too long. Listen, Jack, I wish I could talk China with you all day. Which, okay. which
0: I mean, but that's, I mean, that—that that is the issue. That's really the issue. And I, I think it's starting to change a little bit, but I think that essentially it's just that mentality that is basically, and you see this in both sides. You really do. I'm not saying R versus D on this. It's just this idea that you know we're trying to impose our values or our yeah. way of looking at things on them and they just don't care they just, they, don't, listen. They just yeah. don't have that they don't have that you know <laughs> you know that plank in terms of their their platform and say oh the un's mad at you very, very good <laughs> terrific good for them
1: <laughs> jack i got it so we have three questions that we ask everybody and i gotta get to these but i want to i want questions ha- I want to have I want to have you back at some point because I got to have a a full domestic politics conversation with you. I know you've got some really sort of which is tied
0: to it, which is which I think is tied because it's economic. Right. People say, why do you care about China? Well, well, I say, you you know, do you care? Like, why is it that millennials have become like um, bands of nomads where we don't have any like hometowns anymore? And every millennial I know is like, where should I live? Where should I go? Versus, you know, I grew up in a place where. I lived where my parents lived and they lived where their parents lived. And you, you, the kids I played with were the sons and daughters of the kids that, my yeah, dad yes. played with right yeah. and all of that's gone and yeah. you know policy domestic policy has played a huge role in that the rise of crime has played a huge role in that at least for me growing up in the northeast you know and looking at uh the sort of de-industrialization that's going on i mean that's what broke up a lot of those communities and the bonds of community take generally literally take generations to reform and yeah. that's kind of what's going on right now and so i think that's those are the type of questions that I think are real, and you know, as I've got two little boys now, and uh, that's the kind of stuff that I'm really interested in domestically.
1: Yeah, God. Well, listen, that come back, speech. come and back and do that speech. because if I got. You don't, if you don't have that, you got nothing. I, I, I've got two little boys that I think we we'll probably see pretty similarly in terms of our our concern with um, based on what where we grew up and what's happened in the world today. So come back and do that. But I hear my three questions for All you. All right, let's we, do it. We, the first question is. If you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be?
0: Look, look, I, I'm very stereotypically, you know, <laughs> Polish on this, man. It's it's kibassi, it's onions, caramelized onions, and it's pierogies all day long. Yeah, you're no, not that, letting not your, not your people down on that. You don't not even, even have to think down. about <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> I love really like it. I really don't. All <laughs> With right. Butter, lots and lots of butter over everything.
1: Yeah, there's no other kind, right? It's got to be just a ton of butter. Uh (laughs) All right. Second question. If you didn't get into this at all, if you never got into the nexus of of media and politics and, and your career that led you to where you were at right now, what do you think you'd want to be doing with your life?
0: I don't know. Probably like, like smuggling Bibles into China or something like that. (laughs) You know, that's my, my wife and I actually met funny enough doing, uh, at a Bible study where we were doing translation for one of the Chinese house churches. So, I mean, that's really
1: that's that, how you met.
0: That believe it or not, that in a it's a long story, but yeah, that's how my wife and I wow, here in that's, the
2: US.
1: That's pretty um, amazing.
0: And and she's Slavic, she's from Eastern Europe over there. So, I mean, it's it's and she already spoke Mandarin. Not again, long story. Um, <laughs> Listen, yeah, she, well, she's a linguist, you know. You got so, I mean, you got
1: a lot of layers to you, Jack. Jack, we gotta have you back. We're gonna give yeah,
0: you yeah, yeah. it's a cool story, but no, being um. You know, when I see China and the amount of Christians and I've been I've been trying to run the numbers on this because we we might actually be getting to a point where the number of Christians in China is rising and the number of Christians in the U.S. is decreasing. Right. Or at least like publicly practicing Christians. So I'm wondering, are, are we at the point or are we at near parity where we have the same amount of Christians in China as we do in the United States? Oof.
1: Boy, that's a stat I never thought. Got to work of. on those
0: numbers. Got to get those numbers up.
1: Got to get out. Absolutely. All right. So here's here's question three. Now, this one takes a little bit of an explanation. It's about what goes to motivate you, right? And it's either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. The explanation is the thrill of victory person is always the, the glass half full, charging up the mountain, sort of sunny optimist point of view. The agony of defeat person like Michael Jordan. Right. It's what motivates them entirely is the idea that somebody at some point even thinks that they can beat them and they take any loss that they've had in their life and wear it like a backpack for the rest of their life. So that that's the agony of defeat. Those are the two poles of the question. Where do you find yourself?
0: Oh, I'm, I'm totally a glass half empty or excuse me. So the backwards glass half full kind of guy, thrill yeah. of victory kind of guy. Uh, I'm an optimist. I think God wins in the end. I really do believe in people. Um, I don't have, you know, sort of fake expectations. I mean, I expect people to be people. But I also think that if you sent people up with the right kind of incentives that I I generally think that people mean well, it's just that we have a problem of communication in this country and a problem Mm -hmm. of shared values and millions of reasons why, you know, why it's like that now. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, you've got more people who would agree.
1: You're just not talking about it the right way. Oh, no, interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Listen, Jack, uh, I got to get you out of here, but I really do want to have you back because we've got a bunch of other stuff to talk about at some point. Uh, stay close and thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. This is fun. You bet. Jack Bosovia, take take care. So, I mean, look, dude, the guy, first of all, he speaks fluent Mandarin. How about that? That is amazing. Yeah, it's,
2: it sort of freaked me out there how long he went on with that. <laughs> It's like,
3: I mean, he, you know, he's like, just wait, he just, he, he could do it. And that's, and you know, I, I, you bring up a great point is you see mainstream media try to smear folks like this. And it's more transparent by the day how threatened they are. Because you have folks like, uh, I saw this chart where it was like 11 million people will watch a Joe Rogan episode. And right. CNN can't get like 400,000. Like, there's a reason that they like hone in and target folks because they know that media is completely changing and they can't catch up.
1: Right. Totally. And he's just, a. He, look, he's a really smart guy. Like I said, that, that interview flew by for me because I wanted to ask him a whole bunch of different questions. I, like I had a bunch of domestic politics that I wanted to talk with him, but we just sort of got into it. And he's got a ton of depth, which, you know, is something that we all should look for in people who try to cover politics, somebody who understands more than what's in their in front of their face. And so I enjoyed it. I'd like to have him back.
3: Outstanding. And you know what? That was an outstanding episode, gentlemen. Another banger in the books. You know, thank you so much to our listeners. Our numbers continue to grow. Happy New Year to all of you. Thank you so much. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.